Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Ooh, welcome back, sports fans, to another show of the Cherry Stripe Podcast, brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network, the number one sports podcast network in Los Angeles. For those listening at home, on the road, in the air, or in the water. Do you believe we have a great show for you guys today? Howard Beck of Sports Illustrated joins the boys to talk some NBA. So buckle up, tuck it into your waistband, because here we go. Three, two, one. We're back. And now, this is the moment you've all been waiting for. We are live on the Charity Stripe Podcast with your host, Alex Josh We're back, baby. It's the Charity Stripe. Pitch of free throws because they're free. So 352 coming hot at you guys in so 351. And we're joined on this one by Alex Tossman, the Octosopolis, myself, Nikki Snacks Kreider, and Howard Beck of Sports Illustrated in the Crossover Pod to talk some basketball, closing out our big basketball week. But before we get into that, we got to remind you guys that we are brought to you by betonline.ag. Go to betonline.ag today. And guess what? You can bet on anything you want at betonline.ag. So just go there. If you want to win, money go to betonline.ag betonline I almost went southern there if you want to play on the online casino go to betonline.ag if you want to bet on the NBA draft which is happening tonight go to betonline.ag just stop being so damn shy and go to betonline.ag speaking of being shy no one's shy on this show not even our guest Howard Beck who was awesome we hope you guys enjoy this one uh, a lot of fun loving just sitting down talking some hoops potential trades destinations for the biggest stars so without further ado the charity stripe boys and Howard Beck enjoy all right guys you heard an hour introduction the man of sports illustrated he's got his own podcast the crossover listen up boys and girls one of the premier voices in the NBA Howard Beck joining the show Howard how you doing this lovely morning doing great guys thanks thanks for uh having me on yeah absolutely i mean like we said it before we started really recording anything it is the calm before the storm we're releasing this on draft day we're recording a few day or two before um but the draft is about to go on tonight and it's one of the most chaotic times of the year not only because of the new players joining new teams out of the collegiate ranks but also there's a lot being discussed with some superstars on the move a couple seasons ago in the offseason we saw Kawhi on the move paul george russ kd could this season trump that in terms of superstar movement, in your opinion? I don't think so. Um, this feels like one of those years where there's probably more smoke than fire, mm-hmm. um, but it can change in a hurry. You know, um, there's like there's three guys who are, I think, gathering most of the attention. And I, like maybe I'll miss somebody here. But I mean, it's really about Damian Lillard, Ben Simmons, Bradley Beal. And only one of those three can you say like, absolutely, there's a clear motive and an effort ongoing. And that's with Ben Simmons. Um, you know, just, just a, a horrific conclusion to the Sixers season um, by Ben Simmons. There's always been reason to think that they should break up that duo anyway. And, you know, you're now coming on, you know, uh, you know coming up to the, uh, you know, one year mark, give or take of this new administration with Daryl Morey in charge and Doc Rivers on the bench. You had time to evaluate. And in that time, you've seen kind of, I don't want to say the worst of Ben Simmons. That's, that's too harsh for a guy who's an all NBA caliber player, but you saw the highlighted 
uh, most vivid highlighted version of his limitations or at least his current limitations mm-hmm. and why maybe this isn't the way to go. And that maybe he just needs a fresh start somewhere anyway. So Ben Simmons being somewhere else by opening night or within the next, I don't know, 24 hours, two weeks, something seems pretty likely. Um, but Lillard and Beal are trickier. Um, Lillard is under contract for several years still. There's not an urgency in that regard. He hasn't demanded a trade that we know of yet. And if you're the Blazers, and this goes for the Wizards too, you know, it's really hard to just proactively trade a a superstar, to take a guy who's been the face of your franchise and say, yeah, maybe we've hit a ceiling, which arguably both teams have, certainly Washington. Um, It's hard. It's hard to just decide we're going to jettison a guy who's the face of the franchise and insanely popular, one of the best players in franchise history, or in Lillard's case, maybe the best player in franchise history. So we'll see. Um, If I had to guess, Ben Simmons goes sooner than later. I think Beal is better than a 50-50 chance to be dealt, even though he hasn't pushed that button himself yet. He's on a shorter contract and the Wizards are clearly just kind of, you know, maxed out there. They're, they're, they're going nowhere. Lillard, I think that's the one where if you're Portland, you are doing everything possible to avoid that fate that and then that conclusion. And you're doing everything possible to reassure Dame Lillard that you should stay. So they got a lot of work to do in the next couple of weeks as free agency opens after the draft. And if they can pull off something, maybe Lillard says, okay, cool. I see it. I can, I, I, I see the reason to stay. Um, but they got a lot of work to do to get there. Absolutely. I mean, they really, they probably have to go and add somebody. And then in that regard, who are you, to go, who are you going to add? Um, can you go yeah. maybe do that McCollum, you know, Simmons swap, which kind of makes sense in some regards while well, on our show, we're huge slumdog millionaire, millionaire fans. So when something's like definitely going down, we say D Jack Hobbs, lock it in. So it sounds like you think Ben Simmons on the move is a D Jack Hobbs lock it in for 20 million rupees situation. Um, but it does make the most sense for him to go. Obviously. I mean, look in the NBA, if your primary ball handler can't shoot the three or is not a proficient scorer, then you're kind of in a lot of trouble uh, in that regard. But if Beal's on the move, doesn't that mean Westbrook has to go as well? Um, and can't like, look, can't that the Beal and Westbrook thing started to work? Thomas Bryant's going to be back. You know, is there any hope they have there? Or you think that they've completely hit their ceiling and if Beal's gone, Westbrook has to go and they just kind of have to restart and take that restart seriously. Get what we saw the latter part of the season. And then like the wizards had like, that was a, you know, that was a blast, right? They had a phenomenal run down the stretch. Um, and Westbrook's throwing up triple doubles and he, you know, there's the, like it, you saw like the, the possibilities, but that's fool's gold. It's absolutely fool's gold. Look at Westbrook's age. Look at the, you know, continued steady decline in terms of his efficiency. Yes. He can still put up triple doubles, but triple doubles, I know, I know that there's a stat there that says, you know, more often than not, if he has a triple double, his teams win. That's fine. Um, but it, it, that's a regular season stat. That's not about postseason success. Right. And he is at that age as a guard, especially the more you lose some piece of your athleticism. And he's a guy who, who's, you know, absolutely. That's the key to his entire success. He's not a shooter. He's not a defender. He's not a guy who wins another way. He wins based on his incredible explosiveness and athleticism. And when that goes, he goes. There are already, as I say, been signs and just look at the efficiency numbers of the last few years. He is eroding. That's not an insult. That's just what happens 
for a guard in their early 30s, most of them, especially if you re relied a lot on your athleticism. So the question isn't, could you this season with a healthy Westbrook and a healthy Beal and a healthy Thomas Bryant coming back and Hachimura makes a step and Avdia makes a step and, and maybe a couple others. Okay. And you're what the sixth best team in the East. You're not leapfrogging Milwaukee or Brooklyn. I think whatever Philly does with Ben Simmons will probably make them better. Daryl Morey's pretty good at this trading stuff. Mm -hmm. um, those are three teams you're not getting past for sure. Uh, I think the Hawks are there to stay. I think they're a top four team. Absolutely. Hard to say where the Knicks go. There's a lot of, a lot of pieces in play there and a lot of things broke right for them, but they're, you know, they're solid. The Pacers underachieved. They'll be better under Rick Carlisle guaranteed. Yeah. So where are the wizards going? Like, what is that best case scenario getting them to? And then if not this season, well then the next year, all right, Westbrook, another year older. Beal's got plenty of prime years left, but Westbrook does not. So this isn't a winning formula. This is not a path to sustain success for the next three to five years, which is what Bradley Beal should be thinking about. Mm -hmm. What's, you know, do I have a chance if, if his goal is contention and not everybody has the same priorities, right? When you're balancing money, family, uh, personal stuff, comfort, um, where you're living, how much faith you have in the organization, all these things, not everybody's necessarily saying championship or bust. I got to get somewhere where I can win it all. Yeah, it, it's it's just not. And that's again, that's not a knock on guys. Everybody's just got their own way of arraying uh, all those priorities. So there's an assumption we have to, to, to make here. If Bradley Beal wants to maximize his chances to contend for titles in the next three to five years, then I think there's no question he should be asking out. Yeah, that's his call to make. Not mine. But I, I, I don't see it. I don't see any scenario in which the Washington Wizards, short of some miracle trade, somebody falling in their lap. I don't see how they're getting to that level. Um, and he's on a basically two year deal at this stage. So he's, he's nearing that point where he can start to apply that, that pressure by saying, I'm not going to resign. He can also direct a little bit, maybe his destination by saying who he will or wouldn't sign with uh, once he lands there. And so if you're Beal, you're better off somewhere else. If you're the wizards, because you've maxed out with this group, you know, getting just a boatload back for him, a Paul George type of deal, um, you know, an Anthony Davis type of deal. I don't know if you can get to that level, but if you can just get a boatload of stuff back, picks young guys, okay, then you set yourself up for the for the next era. And then to your other question, like, yeah, well, does that mean Westbrook has to go to? Eh, maybe, or maybe you're getting back so many young pieces that you just decide, you know what, we're a Westbrook oriented team for the next couple of years. If nothing else will be exciting, will be fun to watch. He'll put butts in seats, he'll sell tickets. And then we'll, we'll just wait out his contract running out because it's a hard one to trade. And yeah. Um, well, and meanwhile, hopefully your young guys are learning some things from Westbrook about work ethic and, and intensity. Yeah. I I like I like that notion. One, Westbrook is just such a great leader. The tenacity he brings, the, the work ethic, it seemed to have already been translating to some of the other guys on the roster, especially Rui in the playoffs. Yeah. He looked like a different guy as far as from a competitive standpoint. And Beal in, in other places, like you got to strike while the iron's hot, right? Like his value, yes, he does have more left in the in the tank as far as like from a prime standpoint, but he played his best season he's played over the last two seasons, those have been his best two seasons in the NBA. So take advantage of that. I I'm interested. I kind of want to push back a little bit though, because I do, do you think that the blazers because they're 
quote unquote in contention are at a different state, like at a different place. I feel like they're in because, the same spot. No. Yeah. It feels a little bit like with how, and, and part of that is just because they're in the West and how much more competitive and more well-rounded those top tier teams are in the West. But even if they can, like, it just doesn't seem feasible for them to bring in someone that's really going to change that roster with Dame on it to be a top four team in the West. So with the reason that I look at the Blazers and Lillard differently than the Wizards with Beal, um, there's two elements. The first is that uh, Lillard's on a longer contract. So the, the urgency is less. Um, even if he said, I want out, I mean, listen, you could, you could say, Hey, you know what, just do right by him. And, and if he wants out after all, he's given the franchise, you say, you know what, yeah, absolutely, that's fine. We'll do you sure. that, that courtesy, of course, out of respect. Um, and, but you don't have the urgency. It, there's less urgency based on the contract specifically. So that's the first thing. The second thing is that the wizards have been basically a crap team for how many years running. They just yeah. haven't done anything of note. The Blazers have been in the playoffs every year. They were in the conference finals as recently as two years ago. Um, and, you know, yeah, they've been first round out for whatever, for the other five years um, out of the last five. So one conference finals run and then four first round exits. Um, but generally speaking, they've been a better team. Um, and <laughs> while I don't think that the McCollum uh, Lillard backcourt was built for long-term success and we've seen the limitations of that. And again, over, you know, you talk about overdue moves. It, it's long overdue to have broken up that backcourt. And maybe this is the summer that happens. Um, and then also this, their, their talent, when healthy, their talent levels better. Like Nurkic is a really good center. He just can't yeah. stay healthy. Yeah. Zach Collins is a talented, big can't stay healthy. If those guys are healthy plus, you know, and they're waiting for, you know some of the other young guys it, it's hard to tell sometimes you know when a guy's breakthrough season is going to be but like they're simon's a guy that they've been really high on for a while so i just think that overall portland has better talent if the question is about what can you do right this very minute to um to rectify things and and, and raise your ceiling the, the highest they're they've both got limitations both teams have limitations and i don't know that cj mccollum plus stuff is going to get you where you need to go. Right. I'm not even like, even if you could do the CJ Ben Simons thing, Ben Simons, Ben Simmons thing, <laughs> Anthony Simons, Ben Simmons, good luck <laughs> if those two are playing together. Yeah. Um, even if you could do the McCollum Simmons thing. Yeah. Um, you still have the question of then, okay, well, how does Ben Simmons fit in there really? Because he's not a point guard, right? He's a ball hand. He's, he's a, he's a highly ball handling skilled, big or a forward or whatever. I mean, you could plug him in at any position if you needed to, but Dame is going to be your primary ball handler still. So now Simmons is an off ball guy who doesn't shoot. Um, you know, you, you don't want other non shooters on the court. So now you've got some challenges there, right? You've kind um, of limited his ceiling a little bit. He, yeah. to me at that point becomes basically what drew holiday was for the Bucks without his scoring capability. And Drew didn't have to do it every single game. And obviously Ben Simmons is a more versatile defender. He can yeah. guard the bigs, but like also he becomes a stopper, right? Like he, if he doesn't yeah. have the ball in his hand, every possession, you're limiting his ceiling for what he can yeah. do for other guys. Right, right, right. Exactly. His best, his two best assets are his playmaking and his defense. Right. And so you've, you've, 
you've now diminished his playmaking, but that's the problem for any team that acquires him, right? Like any team that acquires him either gets the sixer version of him in which he's your primary ball handler who can't shoot, in which case that's putting a ceiling on you, or he's your secondary ball handler, in which case you've diminished his best offensive uh, skill. That's what everybody's going to have to navigate until and unless you get him to shoot uh, with frequency and with some level of accuracy. But it I don't, still, I don't think it's too far gone. I mean, he's still so young. Oh, absolutely. No, no, no. I, I don't, by the way, I don't mean to uh, draw that conclusion by any stretch. And I think maybe he'll be better off somewhere else finding his shooting stroke and his confidence in, t- in just taking shots, period. Um, so I, I, I think there's promise in that. But how, how far has that raised the Blazers' ceiling? Back to the premise. Well, what can they do this offseason that actually raises their ceiling enough to, to make Lillard want to stay? Is Ben Simmons subbing in from a column and whatever else is in that deal enough i don't know i mean it, it certainly should make them a better defensive team and it gives them other ways to attack ben simmons can be the primary ball handler with lillard as an incredible weapon off the ball as well because he can he can uh because of his shooting abilities so you know maybe um but i think overall taking the ben simmons possibility off the table what else are you getting for cj mccollum and stuff that's raising your ceiling high enough it's a fair question. There's not as much available as far as like yeah. you know guys above CJ McCollum that you're really upgrading for. I mean, Ben Simmons is yeah. a better player, but like, like we're all saying, he doesn't fit there. I mean, the best, lo- the most logical thing for Simmons realistically is he gets traded to a worse team, and the Sixers bring back a bunch of pieces and fill out that depth, and you start building around Simmons as your primary ball handler. Maybe you know there's some kind of like sign and trade swap with Kyle Lowry. You go to Toronto. Well, you do the D'Angelo there, Russell thing in Minnesota. Apparently, there was a- I was about to bring Toronto up because I think like. As far as being able to uh, squeeze all the juice out of the orange, like Masai is one of the best, right? And it, it, t- it talent scouting, but also like that just development of all those different guys. Siakam, like the, the leap that he's taken forward. FVV, of course, like OG, I think people are expecting that, that next step. But I, I heard that there was a, an OG Fred Van Vliet swap that was put on the table um, by Daryl and the, the Raptors declined it. So maybe it just wasn't the right deal, but it, it seems maybe like they're not as interested in him as, as people thought they were. Um, but the Timberwolves obviously is an interesting fit because then he can, he'll do everything for them. And then you have Edwards off the ball and you've got Cat. And is he the same as JoJo? No, he's a little bit different. And he's also really willing to shoot eight threes a game. So <laughs> I don't know. I, that would be an interesting place for him. But I don't think that the Timberwolves are going to press Ben Simmons to find a jump shot. I mean, the Timberwolves are a desolate franchise. I mean, my, my criticism of that is that, like, Lonzo Ball has worked on his jump shot every single year, and he's actually gotten better at it. We yep. haven't seen Ben Simmons work on it whatsoever, and it's not like he hasn't been in the league for a little bit. Yes, he's still a young player, but, like, you have to take strides forward. You can't. No, stay at a stasis and not and not yeah. progress at all um it's funny because i feel like this this quote kind of slipped by people at the time it didn't get a lot of play but i mentioned it i highlighted it and in fact i think this was i'd gone on the morning show on, uh, on nick wright's show on fox yeah. and i and i mentioned this and i like ben simmons fans i don't even want to say they're sixer fans these are like ben simmons fans just freaked out went off on me because i said that um it, it, it bothered me. There was a couple different pieces of it, but Ben Simmons had made a, uh, a statement in preseason maybe two years ago when he was being asked again about his jump shot. And he said, well, I made the all-star team last year, didn't I? 
some along those lines. It's not the exact quote, but it was basically like I made the all-star. Like, come on, man. <laughs> That's, <laughs> That's not great. good enough. Yeah, but, but it's not even just that. It's, it, you're, what you're basically saying is that because I made the all-star team, I don't have to improve or right. – um, it doesn't matter what other holes there are in my game. And yeah, listen, there are guys who, you know, look, we just saw it with Giannis. Giannis just, just won the championship and finals MVP and has been a back-to-back MVP in the regular season without having a great jump shot, without having a three-pointer. And yes, this is what we do with stars. We always look at what you don't have, especially if you haven't won it all. Now that Giannis has won it all, we'll probably all say a little less about his free throw shooting or his, his three-point shooting or anything else. But you know what? I covered Shaq for seven years and Shaq won three straight championships. We never stopped talking about Shaq's free throws. And that's just the standard that you're held to when you're a star in this league. And the great ones hold themselves to a certain standard as uh, themselves to a certain standard as well, which is come back with something every year, keep adding. And um, so whether that was a defense mechanism and it's just his way of trying to kill the conversation and not go down that road, or whether that was his honest belief, that is a, that is a terrible thing for a star to say in this league. Don't ever say just because you're an all-star or all NBA, or even if you were MVP, that it means you suddenly don't need to work on some aspect of your game. You should yeah. always be working on your game. You should be always, always be adding. And that part of Ben Simmons game is a major hole for a guy who is a primary ball handler. So he can't treat it that cavalierly, even just in conversation. I don't know anybody that doesn't add to their game. Like yeah, everyone like, does. Like as a Celtic, like, I'm a Celtics fan. Like that's a team I'll pull for. Um, and Jalen Brown, the reason I love Jalen so much, I think he's invaluable to me is because every year he gets exponentially better. He's adding to his game on a consistent basis. And when you have a young guy like that, like, yeah, you can maybe move him for Dame and like, look, I'm not going to say Dame to Boston. I'm not going to say no to that. But at the same time, you don't know where Jalen Brown could be in two years because where he was two years ago, you didn't expect him to be here today kind of thing. Yeah. So when you have guys with that kind of work ethic getting exponentially better, it makes a difference. Even a guy like Booker, you take Booker like late in the lottery. You're not anticipating Booker being a guy who, you know, this year we could be like, he could win the scoring title future MVP, like Kobe light could be the next one, you know, could be the next Mamba quote unquote, take his team to the finals or help take his team to the finals. And speaking of the finals, Chris Paul is a guy who could also be on the move. If you're Chris Paul, do you stay? Do you go? Do they miss their, is that, was that there, was that their one shot? Was that the Chris Paul son's one shot to get it done? Or do you think they have like the staying power to get it back next year? Yeah, I mean, look, um, the upside for the Suns is pretty clear. They made the finals with a core group that's pretty young, right? Yeah. Um, Booker, Aiton, Bridges, Cam Johnson. Uh, like, that's a group that can grow together for years to come, and that should obviously be, you know, a really strong team long after Chris Paul has retired. But Chris Paul was the linchpin this season. And if Chris Paul were to go, that's a really hard commodity to, to come by or, and replace. Yeah. Um, listen, I, I think in the abstract here, put the dollars aside, which is a very big thing to put aside since they are a lot of dollars. Um, in the abstract, there's no reason the Suns should want to part ways with Chris Paul. There's no reason Chris Paul should want to part ways with the Suns. Like yeah. the, the, it's, the most logical thing is that he either doesn't opt out, uh, stays in on this final year at 44 million, whatever it is, and then it maybe extends or deals with free agency next year, whatever, um, or opts out and resigns with them for, you know, multiple years. And, and that's some, some, some very large figure. Um, Chris Paul lives in LA. His family is there. Phoenix is a very short flight. He just went to the finals for the first time in his career. And there aren't that many places, you know, and even if, even if you want to say, well, the Suns 
as constructed back next year in a conference where the Lakers get healthy and the Warriors get Klay Thompson back and the Nuggets get Jamal Murray at some point and it's going to be really yeah okay great but there is there is not that's not a single team anywhere in either conference that's guaranteed to be in the finals next year mm-hmm. not even the Nets so you want to be on a team at this stage of your career with a couple of years left to play presumably that gives you a shot I don't even know if there is the best shot just a shot and if you want to say the best shot is to actually go hitch up with Anthony Davis and LeBron James great you're going to go play for the you know mid-level exception um there's no I, I cannot foresee any sign and trade possibilities that are getting Chris Paul to the Lakers it's insane um nor do I see him going and signing for the veterans minimum or the mid-level or something it just it just does not seem likely I don't care how many commercials you do man you're not giving up that cool 44 mil right there that'd be <laughs> wild it's not that you know look none of these guys need the money and they all make plenty off the court so it's not even that it, it is just that you know Generally speaking, you maximize what you can get on the court. You maximize what you can get from NBA teams, no matter what else, no matter how far into the future you and generations to come are already set up, you go for more. You go for as much as you can get. And there's no nothing wrong with that at all. Um, for, and, and for that reason, too, Chris Paul probably should stay in Phoenix. They're the ones who can pay him the most because they have his bird rights. And there are teams with cap room, the Knicks and some others, but nobody else who has cap room and can give him the uh, you know appeal of being in contention. He already knows he's on a contender because he was just in the finals. Yeah. So it comes down to this. Is Robert Sarver still a cheapskate? Because Robert Sarver, as owner of the Suns, has penny-pinched that franchise to death at times. And, you know, they've given up picks to, to shed money. They've given up players to, to duck under the tax. Um, they have never been willing to really go all in. But this is a unique moment for them and for, for Sarver as owner. So this is, this is a big test Um, on Sarver's side of it. You know, how much are you willing to spend and and how far into the tax are you willing to potentially go? And on Chris Paul's side of it, are you willing to give a little bit because you found the right home for the end of your career? Does that mean you're in a more, you know, uh, generous mood to settle on, on something short of the max? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, it's a tricky situation. I mean, does he take a pay cut? then to kind of maybe bring somebody else on. Do they need somebody else on? Like we're discussing these young guys taking a step forward. Can that be Aiden? Can like Aiden realistically by the end of next season be considered a top five big? Is he there already even, you know? Yeah. And the, the other aspect too is, I mean, you talk about guys prioritize things a little bit differently. How much does Chris Paul prioritize his legacy about jumping so many different teams? You know, I mean, I know some of them wasn't his fault that he had to go to another team, but like going to the Lakers being another team, you know, going back to the Clippers, you know, maybe just sticking it out with the Suns and see if you can get back there. I mean, he probably, he definitely created a great relationship with those guys. And, you know, it's something different that you don't see through Chris Paul. The other thing too, though, is this, like, to me, this is where I get all, all sappy uh, for the moment. Um, To me, like two of the most poignant moments of the Suns playoff run were Chris Paul and Monty Williams hugging when they made the finals and Chris Paul, Monty Williams hugging, um, actually when they made, I think when they made the conference finals and then when they made the finals and it was just like so endearing and so moving, like these two guys, Chris Paul, who has been added in this league for a long time. He's a, you know, we all know he's a lock for the hall of fame, one of the greatest point guards of all time and breaking through has just been so difficult for him. And Monty Williams, who we all know has been through in just immense personal tragedy. And these two guys started off together, essentially in new Orleans, all those years ago. And so 
that they have this personal and professional bond that goes back over a decade and they're together there. Chris Paul has a comfort level and a, and a bond with Monty Williams that he's not going to have anywhere else. And a front office with, you know, headed by James Jones that, that clearly he's got a belief in. Um, and a young, and a young core that was perfect for him, right? Like Chris Paul has graded on teammates usually when they've been at his level as stars or at his level as veterans. So, you know, some, some guys don't want to hear Chris Paul's bullshit and that's been an issue before in Houston and in LA, the young guys are going to be more tolerant of that and, and, and defer to his leadership because he's Chris freaking Paul. Yeah. Um, so this is the perfect scenario on that level too. And so if, when we talk about chemistry, when we talk about fit, when we talk about all this, why would Chris Paul want to leave that? Yeah. It's... Yeah. And, and it seemed additionally, obviously he has the relationship and the longstanding relationship with Monty Williams, but like you're talking about with these younger guys, I don't think I remember in years past, like Nick saying, like Chris Paul's played on a lot of different teams. There hasn't been a big man that has talked with him and talked about Chris Paul and Chris Paul has talked more importantly, Chris Paul has talked about them in that kind of way. And I think, again, it's just a comparison. I don't, I don't want to keep bringing it back to Ben Simmons, but it's like DeAndre Ayton clearly is one of those guys that wants to get better and is working every single year to do so. Um, I, I want to pivot real quick, just to talk briefly about the Olympics team. Um, Kevin Durant, obviously, I think some so much of this is recency bias because they lose the first game, and now everyone's saying, like, why is KD there? Why is he playing? What do you think's going on with this, this roster? Is it just because they haven't played together? Is it the tremendous amount of pressure that's always on the United States roster, and, and now they're in competition with other teams that are just getting better internationally? Um, what do you think is going on with this USA team? It's fine for people to say that the world is catching up on some level or that the margin for error is less, that the talent on teams outside of the U.S. is higher than it's ever been. Like, all that's fine. All that's true on some level. But no other country can put out a roster 1 through 12 of NBA players. Like, okay, France had like three or four NBA players. But they weren't all-stars, aside from Rudy Gobert. And and it's three or four NBA players. and 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 the U.S. team has all nba players um and multiple all-stars so like like so yes the world has improved the world is has closed the gap um the talent level is higher the margin for error is less the u.s can't just walk out you know just just roll out of bed and, and blow guys out by 40 anymore that's all true it doesn't fully explain the kind of face plant that they had the other day or that they've had repeatedly over the last couple of years in international competition. There's a lot of things going on. I mean, let's focus, let's go small picture for the moment, not big picture with Team USA uh, in the program. Small picture, training camp, they lose Bradley Beal and Kevin Love. Zach Levine goes into protocols. I think somebody else went into protocols too. Um, You know, they got to add a couple of guys at the last minute and JaVale McGee and and, uh, Spurs. Yeah, great um, pick. Keldon, Keldon Johnson. Yeah. Keldon, yeah. yeah. Um, What's going on there? So, so there's all that. There's all the guys who didn't go because we're in a unique time, two years of pandemic and, um, you know, summers being screwed up and the schedule, the, 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 you know, tightness of the schedule and the off season being shrunk and all that stuff. Right. So you, you lose a bunch of guys that maybe you would have had otherwise injuries come into play, all this other stuff. So it's not the best version of team USA you could have gotten. Then you throw in, you know, Beal and Love bailing, um, not bailing, but having injuries, having to go. 
Um, and then you've got three key players coming into the last minute straight from the NBA finals landing at 1am or whatever it was. And then playing that same night with, with Middleton holiday and Booker. I mean, that's a lot. That's a yeah. lot. And for a team that hasn't even played together that much, whereas the international teams that they're, that they're facing have been together and have had core groups that have been together for years. Yeah. So all of that's fair. All of that is, is proper context still is not enough to explain them losing. Uh, there have been some rumblings that maybe these guys don't in, exactly enjoy playing in a Spursian kind of, uh, you know, all for one offense where you're always, you know, passing up the good shot for the great shot. And, you know, these are, there's some guys, you know, you've got you know, certainly two of, or at least three of four of the best one-on-one -on -one players, five of the best one-on-one -on -one players. Yeah, you, got a, like, you got a like, lot of ISO scores on that team. Right. And so you don't, even in international competition, I mean, I don't know that you necessarily want to go ISO all the time, like Dame ISO on this play, then Durant on the next possession, and then Zach Levine on the next one and Tatum on the next one and Booker on the next one. Like you, you know, they're all phenomenal that way, but also in international play, there's no defensive three second rule. And so a guy can be camped out in the lane. So you're not going to just get to the basket with these just because you blew by your guy. Um, so you do have to find a way to, to integrate guys and, and have them play well as a unit. But there are some rumblings of tension about the offensive style that, that pop wants versus what the players want to do. I'm not sure what the best way forward there is. Um, if, if they don't win gold, it won't be for lack of talent. Maybe it's not the, 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 the U S's best version of the Olympic team. No LeBron, not, and it's not like the years of LeBron and Kobe and Carmelo and Wade and all that. Like, this is a lesser version, but it's still a really, really talented team. It's not yeah, for of lack course. of talent. All right, Howard, we got one more question for you. We asked this to all of our guests. This could be you as a fan, as a player, anything in your life. What is your favorite sports memory? Man, um, it's tough because, you know, there's, there's, there's separate categories here. You know, there's, there's watching from the couch. There's stuff I've been to in person, which is, a lot, a lot of NBA games, of course, over 24 years. Um, all right, I'll just, I'll just go with, um, and in terms of like personal stuff, nobody wants to hear like, you know, the, the, the time that I ran my best cross country races oh, we kinda, in high we, school. We kind of, we like, kind of did. We like those. those you, if, you, if you have a couple shoot, if you have one of you at an NBA game and one of you is like dominating, like, you know, the, the 5k, we're all here for it. <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, my personal sports career is, is fairly brief, you know, some cross country and track in junior high and high school, some, you know, stuff on the side, whatever, some, you know, uh, you know, beer softball league type stuff after college and whatever else, but emphasis um, on the beer, less softball, right? Yeah. I mean, it wasn't literally beer league. Like it's, that's what you would call it, but yeah, it was, you know, adult softball league, you know, a bunch of people in their twenties through forties, uh, trying to relive some kind of glory out on the, last uh, night. The, out of, out of the, the mean the mean fields the uh, softball fields of davis california um all right personal one i'll do i'll do this i don't think i've ever told this story in any public setting and it's not that great of a story but it's just it's fun so uh, my yeah my junior year of high school was like probably my athletic peak just in terms of like um competitively like or organized competitively um so i was running cross country i was never like one of the best on the team or anything. I didn't think it was just something I like to do. I like to run. Uh, I like to run on Hills. Um, I was a masochist, I guess. Um, and I was decent at it. Right. And, and like, 
you know, I, it, it wasn't so much about speed because, you know, cross country, these are races that are whatever, anywhere between like two and a quarter to three miles maybe, but on hills. And so my thing was going on those uphills and everybody else is like dragging and they stop and they start walking, whatever else. I was just going to be like, I'm just going to gut it out. Like my thing was like, I'm just never actually going to stop. And I could pass people just by going when everybody else was just like gassed. And then I had a decent closing kick, right? Like I could, I could run a little, like, but I was not a, a sprinter. Um, and in track, I was more, you know, doing like the mile and two mile. So um, we're at uh, the, whatever the conference meet was for my high school. I went to, so from San Jose, California, went to Santa Teresa high school, not a private school. I know it sounds like it. That's just the area of town, Santa Teresa area. Um, and so we had the, um, what was the name of our conference? I can't even remember. Um, and so this was like the big race. This was like the big like league or conference race. And then whoever, you know, whichever schools placed high in this race, we're going to go on to like some regionals. And I did really well that day. I don't know why I just did. I uh, had one of my best races and I'm coming down. This is at Alum Rock Park in San Jose. And the last kick is like downhill. And it's, it's like, you're getting serious momentum going down this thing. But as you come down to the end of that, it's this quick um, U-turn you got to make to the right to go into the, to, to the finishing gate. Um, so it's also like, don't bite it at the bottom there as you're making this quick turn. Yeah. And I'm just sprinting my butt off. I don't know. It's going to be my best race. You never know in the middle of these things, it's cross country, right? You can't even see half the people you're competing against throughout the race. And, but I could hear my coach, uh, his name was, um, I can't remember his first name was Wade though. Coach Wade, he was a math teacher. And I could hear him just yelling one more back one more. And so I just knew like, all right, I guess this is important. Like, I guess I'm, I'm doing well enough that there was some reason for him to actually be screaming at me, you know, from down below in the, in this like parking lot area. And so I just booked it past another couple of people got through the, through the finishing gate. Um, I finished, I don't know why I remember this, like random things that you remember in life. I finished, I think it was like 33rd out of 131 runners. And so that was enough based on the point system where you're, you're essentially displacing other, other runners from other teams to help us qualify for the regionals or whatever. So there you um, go. Yeah. Larry so Bird. That. That's what, that's why you remember that's the big 33, man. It, it's as, it's as good. And three was always like my favorite number, like lucky number kind of thing for, for whatever that's worth. Um, yeah, that's it. There's my athletic peak fellas. <laughs> love it. That's awesome. I love it. It reminds me of Mr. 3000. It reminds me of like Mr. 3000, like where he like bunts just to like get the team to win, but like get to like third place. Like you like, you didn't win, but you like did just enough to get your team there where it's yeah. like kind of, where it's like, it's like a really good, like awesome memory. That's a it's good not, one. It, it's not nothing. I did once run a 520 mile also in a track meet, um, which was like my, my wow. that was by, by far my best mile um my best mile time um i don't think i ever approached that again since um so that was pretty cool i don't remember where i placed that day i just you know again numbers that stick in your head like you run a 520 mile like holy fuck i ran a 520 mile yeah, yeah. It's when everybody's like yeah i can run over 60 like, hey, i did that too once um yeah, but my the, the sports memory I usually reference is the one that I kind of I key in on is, is kind of like the one that kickstarted or put me on the path to this career. Yeah. Um, and that's the catch Joe Montana to Dwight Clark, the yeah. NFC championship game in 1982. This is before you guys were all born probably. Um, also true. But 
I'm I'm a, I'm a Bay Area guy um, and grew up in San Jose. So like we didn't, the Sharks didn't exist at that time. So you're rooting for either the San Francisco teams, the Oakland teams, maybe all of them. The Niners were my team. And that was this magical season. The Niners had always been kind of like the little brother to, to the Raiders in the Bay Area and had never been particularly good. So, you know, everything falls into place. That team, you know, Bill Walsh's head coach, Joe Montana, Dwight Clark. What's that? <laughs> that changed quickly. They got good. Changed <laughs> quickly, alert. And they became a dynasty, right? So the Niners are the team that kind of, and I'm, 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 I'm young. I'll just say I'm young at the time of, of the catch uh, in 1982. And um, that's what clinches my sports fandom or, or takes it to a different level. Like before that, I grew up in a family that was kind of like, you know, casual sports fans at best. My brothers weren't into sports, not playing, not, not as fans either. And so it was, it, but that for me, that was like this, just this moment, it was this eye popping moment it was like almost like this, this epiphany this just montana to clark that moment i was watching that game with a bunch of friends in somebody's living room and we just exploded and you know you just there are certain plays that are so exciting in whatever sport and especially if you see them at a young age it just sparks something it's it's yeah. just you've never seen something so exciting in your life like that has never happened before, right? There have been other versions of that in NFL history. There are other versions of like Kobe to Shaq lob in 2000 in the conference finals, which I covered. Like, and I've always analogized those two actually um, as, a, as a sports writer versus as a fan. But somewhere there was some kid watching that, having that same mind-blowing moment that I had watching the Niners back in the day. Like some kids going like, holy shit, I can't believe what I just saw. That's the most exciting sports moment of my life, right? And for me, what that did was it made me, you know, that much stronger of a fan where I wanted to read the paper every morning, sounds and Mercury News is on the table every morning. I'm devouring the sports section, all the sports, but especially the Niners. I'm reading every story. And as you're doing that, and then you're moving into your, your high school years and you're thinking about what do you want to do with the rest of your life? What do you want to study? What do you want to do for a career? And I was decent at writing, at least in school. And so you start thinking like, oh, well, people get paid to go watch these games and write about them. Like how ridiculous Sounds is that? Sounds like a dream. Yeah. Yeah. Like I could do that. I think maybe. Um, and so that, that's it. Like that to me, like that's like that, that, um, that, that just key moment that puts me on a path um, that I think I could trace my entire sports writing career back to Montana to Clark in 1982. Um, the catch. I end up covering the NBA instead for 24 years. Uh, <laughs> the irony. Yeah. <laughs> But, you know, you don't you don't always get to pick, you know, the exact details of of, uh, of your career. You kind of follow your path where it goes. You follow the opportunities. And, you know, I got a great one in 97 to cover the Lakers for the L.A. Daily News. And, you know, that's, you know, it's it's as they say, you know, uh, it's, uh, you know, every everything just kind of flowed from there. So um, but yeah, Montana to Clark. Thank you, Joe Montana. Thank you, Dwight Clark. It's awesome. That's a great one. Well, Howard, we're glad you're covering the NBA now and uh, glad you joined us. Uh, we'll be in touch throughout the season. We'll have you back on if you want to run it back. Uh, go check him out. He writes for Sports Illustrated. The crossover pod is great. It had an awesome episode uh, covering Space Jam 2 with Don Cheadle, which is fantastic. Um, and yeah, go check him out, guys. Follow him on Twitter. Howard, thank you so much for joining us today, man. Appreciate it, fellas. Thank you. Of course. Awesome show. We'll see what happens. The draft is tonight. A lot of craziness going to happen tonight and next week. 
the NBA about a kick into full swing. Who knows what's going to happen? Your guess is as good as ours. But to the fans out there, drag both feet in bounds. Swing on a full count. Rip that puck. Hit that putt. Hit your PKs because they free. Hit your free throws. Why, guys? Because they are free. We out you. We love you so damn much. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.